coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk to a Top Shot champion and discuss stereotypes in the firearms community. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the big man across the table. Big Keith is in the house. Big Keith, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I... Uh kind of excited i feel like we haven't recorded a show in a while it's been a little bit and i feel like there is so much that i want to small talk with you but i am afraid that there are things that you don't want to talk about yet on the show i'm not very good at keeping show secrets <laughs> i'm terrible at show secrets what do you want to talk about uh our time with ben and yeah well why don't we just why don't we just hit the highlights and then we're going to obviously cover it in bigger detail greater detail at some point correct all right that yeah. sounds fair so we we we, sh- we shot with ben dewalt we, we we went and shot his low light course yep it was a very humbling experience very much so um <laughs> which I, sh- I was warned about at a time right. i shot the bees they didn't exactly hit anything that i wanted to hit <laughs> but i do think ben helped me figure out a little i i learned something that i was like huh I, I figured out that shooting one-handed, which I don't do very often, yes, right, um, that the way in which I'm using my trigger finger and my trigger squeeze, that my support hand hides a lot of deficiencies. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I'm learning, hopefully, to work through those deficiencies. That, w- that was a really eye-opening experience. That was a great way to say we shot like crap. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I, missed, I at one point missed an entire cardboard target. For like 10 rounds. I don't know. Well, my favorite was the fact that uh, if it was real life, I would have shot a guy that was coming at me with a Sprite can. Yeah, you killed that <laughs> You killed that Sprite can carrying motherfucker. <laughs> um, and then we built battle belts. Yeah, so we're, for on, that we're unveiling the battle belts. I think this is the first time we we officially said that yeah, word. Yeah, it's been on the gram. Yeah. But, uh, but in terms of the podcast, yeah, so we <clears> built these beautiful battle belts for this course. I, uh, I, I was... I didn't think I would ever want a battle belt, and now I love my battle belt. Yeah, I, I feel funny calling it a battle belt because I do battling. too. A range belt, is, range a, is, belt. is a little yeah, more yeah. like, but but I like battle belt too. It's cool, yeah. and uh, I I'm so glad I have one. Yeah, and I'm very excited. I I know we 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 talked a little bit about me shooting red dot. Um, it was so new for me, and it's the first time I really ever had one on a pistol. But I've I really enjoyed it. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I can't stop shooting it. And I think I might start liking nine millimeter. Yes. I know. I know. If I can get you to change over your ideas on open carry, I'm going to declare. That's myself. never going to happen. I All like right. open carry. It's not, I just like to do it. I think yeah. if I could do it, I would do it. All right. That's fair. So we will get into greater detail on those topics at a later date, but those are definitely some, some things to look forward to. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I got that off. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like I'm like hiding something from the listeners. That's okay. No, we're not hiding anything. <laughs> We're an open book. So uh, some ways in which our listeners, speaking of listeners, can support the show. Um, I just want to highlight a couple things here. You know, we usually ask for a couple, two, three things, but obviously subscribe, leave a five-star review and comment on Apple Podcasts. Now you can leave five-star reviews on Spotify, which is really cool. And follow us on Instagram. Uh, everything links to Facebook. So if you if you follow Facebook, that's great too. But Instagram, I, I interact with people. I've been interacting with people all week. It's great. I really do like being able to have the conversations with people off uh, you know, on a different site. So that's great. So make sure you're following us on uh, Instagram. And tonight's show is sponsored by Resurgent Arms. You know, I went on their site and I'm every once in a right while, now. yeah, I I never even thought to bring this up, but they don't just carry the stuff that they make. They also have some great charging handles um, for ARs. They carry some muzzle brakes. And the great thing about it is you get 12% off with our discount code GUNEXPERIMENT12. So if you're looking for uh, a nice charging handle, uh, a little more. And I, I think that applies to sale items too. It does. And there is a three-port stainless finish muzzle breaker on there right now that looks really sweet. How much is it? 31 bucks on that's Mine what is it is. 12%? Sale. Mine is 12%. You can't beat that. Can't beat it. It's like a, you know. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, go support them. Um, you know, support the companies that support us and and uh, get yourself a, a banging deal. So Keith, are you ready? I think I am. Okay, cool. Our guest tonight was an employee of Google for six years when he decided to audition 
for History Channel's Season 4 Top Shop competition. Can I change my mind? I'm not ready. <laughs> he would ultimately go on to win that competition and has worked in the outdoor industry full-time ever since. He's a media personality, industry consultant, and Second Amendment civil rights advocate. Please welcome Chris Chang to the show. Chris, how you doing? How's it going? Good, good, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great here. Really excited to be on the show and yeah, talk about guns and stuff. So I remember uh, when Top Shot came out and I started watching that show and it's it's kind of exciting to have you on the show, you know, to, to, to kind of go full circle of me being a viewer and now to talk to you is really exciting. So thank you for being on the show. You're, yeah, you're very welcome. And, uh, you know, the Top Shot was just this game changing experience, uh, you know, for me personally and professionally. And and I know it did wonders for the millions of viewers, you know, for, for all the five seasons. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share more about my experience with you and your listeners today. That's awesome. So let's get into that. So uh, you were a quote unquote tech nerd working in Silicon Valley for Google. And you were you were exposed to guns, but really had little to no formal firearms training, to my understanding, and essentially went head to head with 17 professional marksmen and beat them all, which is wild to me. So just take us back. How did this come to fruition? I mean, it just blows my mind that you just like, yeah, let me go do this thing and then win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, so um, I am a self-taught amateur gone pro. And Top Shot was that inflection point of, of me becoming a professional marksman. And, you know, my origin story with firearms started at six years old, where my father taught me how to shoot. And this was in the 1980s in Southern California, where I was born and raised. And at the time, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't a very large gun culture in Orange County. And so we just didn't have any family friends. We didn't have any kind of firearms community. It was literally just my father taking me to the range. You know, we rent a lane for one or two hours, punch some holes in paper, and then the guns would go back in the safe for about three or four years. Right. So I was only shooting for one to two hours once every three to four years. You know, that was the cadence uh, and the general experience and exposure that that I had when I was younger. Now, fast forward to you know when I started to work at Google and had some disposable income. That's when I purchased my first firearm, which was a Sig P226. And this was uh, I was 27 or 28 years old. You know when I purchased that first firearm, and like many of us. Once you purchase your first gun, it sets you on this trajectory to you're going to the range a lot more often. You're getting deeper into the mechanics of marksmanship. And then for many of us, clearly, your first gun is not your last gun. So, you know, after I was just going to joke, you know, it leads to the second, third, 25th, 75. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then you just sort of lose count at one point, which has been embarrassing at certain points where, yeah, some people ask me sometimes, how many guns do I own? And I don't keep the number, you know, I'm not tracking that in my head. So I have to kind of go through, you know, literally manually count, you know, I'm buying and trading, you know, firearms every so often. So, you know, at times I just say, oh, you know, I I kind of have lost track of the exact number. And it's like, okay, yeah, I have, uh, I have a lot of guns, but of course that's part of the fun, right? It's part of the hobby and part of the sport. We were talking about red dots earlier and, uh, I had someone on Instagram reach out and because I'm getting ready to put a red dot on my pistol. And he was like, oh, I started with one. Now I want them on all my pistols. And I responded and said, that's why gun owners have no money because <laughs> they just <laughs> keep buying more, you know? Um, so let me go back one second here, Chris. You mentioned your dad. I want to kind of just touch on that for a second. And you said there wasn't a, a thriving gun community in Orange County. Where was his uh, foundation with firearms? Did, was he, did yeah, he just say, I want to do this with thing. my son? Or did he already have a background in firearms? Was he in the military? Like, where did that start? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, my father's first exposure to firearms was the United States Navy. And if we go back even a little farther, my father, he's first generation Chinese American. And so 
being the firstborn, you know, of that side of the family in America, you know, the Chinese side of my family you know, did not come to America to shoot guns, right? That's not, that's <laughs> not a, a, a reason why people often come to the United States, right? It's for education, it's for right, better job opportunities, sure. right? To make a better lot of your life, right? And provide, uh, you know, better uh, family experience, et cetera, et cetera. The so, proverbial American dream, right? Exactly. Right. And so my father's, you know, he was the first gun owner in my family. Uh, and, you know, the United States Navy was his first exposure to firearms and not as a gun owner, but right, just as an officer candidate, you know, going through OCS. Um, but he was a navigator in Vietnam. And so he flew P3 Orions, you know, and basically didn't touch guns uh, much after that initial OCS training. But if you fast forward, you know, he's he, uh, you know, did his four years in the service. And when I was born, and this was 1979, what was happening in California during that time was the Reagan assassination attempt happened. And there was talk about gun control. Mm -hmm. And there was talk about banning uh, pistols in particular. And so my father, you know, being a, uh, you know, first time father with, you know, me, you know, firstborn son, uh, and my mother, you know, he realized, hey, you know, there's chatter about these this gun control stuff happening. And I better, <laughs> as we all know, once there's chatter about something being banned, what do people do? They want to go out and get the thing right before <laughs> right. it gets banned. Sure. So that's all exactly that's exactly what happened with my father, right? Who said, I better go get some handguns to protect my son, to protect my wife and to protect our home. And so that was his first time, right, purchasing firearms. And, you know, he learned the basic fundamentals of marksmanship. And, you know, he was nothing special, you know, when it comes to marksmanship. He wasn't competing. He wasn't an instructor or anything. He was just a regular guy, right, who wanted to protect his family. And so he taught me those basic fundamentals of firearm safety and marksmanship, and then clearly I had to take that to the next level once I decided to apply for Top Shot. And, uh, you know, that whole experience, I can you know, dive into that training experience if that's something that you guys are interested in learning a little bit more about. Chris, I want to know when you left Google, how much stock did you have? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Let's just say I had, I had a good amount. Google <laughs> treated me very well. It was a wonderful experience. Um, it was definitely... Before it was the before the days of big tech censoring all of us, and yeah. especially well, censoring that, that sort of leads into my real question, which is, you know, I'm assuming that you had an well, now I don't assume anymore. We, we just talked about it, but that you had a firearm, you, you were interested in firearms when you were working at Google. So, was there ever, you know, water cooler talks about firearms, you know, in a positive light? There, I, I imagine people who were just curious. Uh, that you were a gun owner, but, uh, you know, were you in a minority, I guess, so to speak? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And so I guess here, here are sort of the, the high points. You know, there are a lot of closeted gun owners in Silicon Valley and in tech in general, and Google was no exception. We had a whole internal mailing list and discussion group about firearms. And so it was all your typical conversations like, hey, I'm a new, new first time, you know, gun owner. What kind of, what kind of gun should I own or what kind, what kind of yeah. gun should I go shoot? What kind of gun should I buy? Um, the and then, normal, you know, the people, normal curious questions, right? Exactly. Right. Hey, I'm going to the range. Like what are the ranges in my area? And, you know, does anybody want to come shoot with me? Right. At a, at a certain range. And so, you know, we had all of those kind of uh, typical activities and discussions that would take place. And now to, to bring it to a more personal level, you know, before Top Shot, you know, I, I had a, a friend, a colleague there, right, who uh, he was a gun owner. And, you know, we would, you know, sometimes right meet in the meet in the hallway and just naturally our conversation would turn to guns. Yeah, that's but cool. now the funny thing was we would catch ourselves, you know, Google had a, an open office floor plan. Right. So everybody can kind of hear all the conversations that are happening in the open office. So we'd be like, oh, oh, oops, right, we're talking about guns. And so we would go into our office and right, close the door, you know, <laughs> you know, tilt the monitors away from the glass you know, windows looking into our office. And then we right, pull up all the you know, websites about ARs and guns <laughs> and stuff. And so we were having this like totally, you know, hush, hush conversation 
about firearms. Now, fast forward to after my Top Shot win, um, I still worked at Google uh, for for about eight or nine months. Oh wow! Uh, when well, here's the weird here's the weird you timeline. Like, were you a celebrity around there? <laughs> well, here is the weird thing: is because uh, I got back from the Top Shot competition in September of 2011. But my season didn't start airing until February of 2012. Uh, And then the final episode didn't air until June 1st. But they knew you left, right? Like they had. Did they know why you left? They knew why I left. But for the eight to nine months after I came back, you know, I couldn't talk about. Oh, you couldn't tell me what I did. Yeah. So they didn't know I had won, but they had known Uh, that I had gone on to this, you know, TV show on the history channel called top shot. That was all about guns and marksmanship. You must've been like the cat that swallowed the canary. How did you, how did you not have a smile from ear to ear for months? (laughs) Oh yeah. It was hard. I mean, I had to pretend like everything was normal. You know, I had to pretend like, you know, I tell my boss, oh, yeah, you know, uh, all my, I'm still, you know, interested in my job. And, you know, and it really, I wasn't <laughs> I was like yeah. kind of counting down the days for, you know, when I could put in my notice. Oh, but so, yeah. So you knew you. Yeah. OK. I didn't think about it. Yeah. But, right, but it's like, you know, I, I, and also I didn't want to quit until the money was in the bank and the money yeah. wasn't in the bank until the final episode aired. Um, but to go back to how the corporate culture had changed when I had come back, you know, from competing, you know, I, I was uh, an enterprise technical support manager, right? So I was managing a team of uh, technical support agents. So I'm, you know, walking on the open floor, right? Just, you know, checking in on my, on my team. And one of my team members, he raises his hand and I walk over to his desk expecting some kind of your technical question about, you know, about Google. And he goes to me and goes, hey, Chris, I'm trying to build my first AR and I'm really confused about <laughs> ratio, you know, one to six, one to nine, <laughs> one to 16, you know, twists and like 16 versus 18 inch barrel. And like, what's the difference between a muzzle brake and, <laughs> and a flash hider? And we're in the middle of the open floor with like 20 people, right, all around us. And he's got you know, three tabs up on his dual monitor screen with, you know, (laughs) AR pieces and, you know, lower receivers. And I was like, what is happening right now? Have you finished your responsibilities today? (laughs) Then we can talk about ARs. Yeah. And so, but we had this open conversation about AR-15 components and, you know, how to go about, you know, buying an A, you know, a lower and an upper, right? Should they be matched? And, you know, 80% lowers was was brand new back right. in like 2012. So he was asking me some like some very like detailed, nuanced questions. But just to give you a sense of how, you know, it, it takes only one of us in our corporate workplaces to change the culture. And now in my case, it was great. But right now I can clearly see how this can go wrong, right? For 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 a lot of people, right? If yeah. you start talking about AR-15s and, you know, standard 30 round. I can't imagine that your experience that you experienced in 2011 and 12 would be the same as it is today. No way. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm at a different company in Silicon Valley and I, I assume it's so- a second amendment friendly company. I mean, Google is literally censoring, you know, this type of stuff, right? I mean, yeah, you I know? mean, my, the, the employer that I work for who I, who I can't mention, uh, we also have anti second amendment policies, right? As part of our product platform, but you know, there's a difference between the product policies the company's executive leadership yes, and then your rank and file employees. Right. right. So, you know, rank and file employees, right. It's like, Hey, right. We can be pro gun. We can be right over pro this anti that. And uh, just because a company is a certain way, right. does not mean that all of its employees uh, all have the same kind of, you know, mind think that the uh, corporate overlords have. So, you know, it was amazing though, right. To see how, you know, one person, right, me coming out of the gun closet and being more comfortable, right, talking about firearms in the workplace gave other people, other colleagues of mine, that same confidence in trying to normalize conversations about firearms, right? That, you know, the, the those of us who talk about guns, like we're not the ones who the public or our colleagues have to be worried about. 
right? We're not the criminals who are going out committing crimes. Right. Those are other people. And the more that we succumb to the shame and the fear that is instilled in many parts of our culture, right? We're, if we succumb to the fear, we're just reinforcing, right? These negative stereotypes, right? That guns are something bad and evil that we shouldn't be talking about, that we should be afraid to talk about. So, you know, each of us plays a very important role in trying to break through some of these negative stereotypes about gun owners and gun culture. You know, it's funny because you're kind of leading me down the path that I really want to go down here. You're an, an, an Asian male who also happens to be openly gay. In terms of bringing diversity to the Second Amendment community, uh, you're definitely checking a lot of boxes here, right, in terms of diversity. Do you ever find yourself sort of between a rock and a hard place politically balancing gay rights and pro-gun rights? And let me just kind of clarify what I mean here. So I always say that when I vote, my first priority is I vote for my Second Amendment rights. If there's a candidate that is, that is super pro-Second Amendment, you've got my vote. Right now, I imagine that there's someone out there who is super passionate about pro-choice when it comes to abortion. Right. And they they probably vote left because of that. But they may also happen to be a gun owner and something has to take a back seat. So if they're really passionate about pro-choice, then they're going to have to make a choice of which side of the aisle they vote on in many cases. So I guess that's my question is, do you find yourself you have two very hot topics politically and they happen to usually be on opposite sides of the aisle. So is that hard for you? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely is. And for me, the way that I look at both gun rights and gay rights is that they're both civil rights. And this is yeah. really a question about freedom and limited or minimal government intervention or interference in our civil rights. So you know, I, I know, right, stereotypically from a political perspective that gun rights are a Republican conservative issue, right, and LGBT rights are a left and Democrat issue. And I really disagree with that whole paradigm. I just, uh, we I, truthfully when I look do too. At, yeah, we do too. Yeah, for sure. And right. And, and the problem with the, our political system these days is, you know, each party tries to claim right certain positions on certain issues. And then, oh, you know, if you say you're Republican, you have to automatically subscribe to all the Republican dogma and vice versa with the Democrats. And and that's just not the way I am. Uh, I mean, I'm a right of center, you know, registered Republican. But I'm a small L libertarian, right? That sort of, I guess, uh, sums up my political um, uh, philosophy and affiliations in a nutshell. So, Chris, hold on. Let me let me let me pause you for one second here. Hold on. So, because I'm 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 fascinated by this. So, Keith and I have said many times. I mean, it's on record. It's on the air. It's recorded that we truly believe that the Second Amendment. It's not a left issue. It's not a right issue. You said civil rights issue. I agree with that. That the ability to protect yourself and your family is not a political, there's no political divide there. Everyone has the right to do that, right? So the, what bothers me is that we, and I say we, Democrats, Republicans, we all allow this one particular topic to be sort of divided politically. And it shouldn't be. In other words, if you're a pro-choice person, you should say, I'm voting for you because I'm pro-choice, but don't touch my guns. That That is an issue that I'm not, I'm not voting for you to take my guns away. And it doesn't seem like that happens. That's the problem. And I think that's what, you know, maybe that I don't want to put words in Chris's mouth, but, uh, you know, we're a small group of people that believe what the three of us are talking about right now. And I think being, uh, you know, pro-choice about your sexual orientation is, is, is a civil right, not, you know, not a political right, but it's been made to be that way. Guns are that way. You know, all this other, all the other, there could be a, a number of different topics that are fall right. into that same category. The real question is, why do so many other Americans fall for that? Why are there so few people that that see it like we do? And and I don't want to say that we're like definitely the ones that are right here, but you know, these are civil rights; they're not political rights. Well, I just say, and Chris, maybe you can kind of you know uh, jump in on this, but I feel like like you said it, parties sort of claim these platforms, right. but love it or hate it, that is how it is. You know, the Democrats have claimed LGBTQ and the Republicans have claimed gun rights and that's just how it is. So you got to vote for one of them 
Got to vote for one side or the other. That, that you know, you can't vote for both. I don't know. It just seems so unintelligent to. to it is, to, but so how, how do people? What is your recommendation, Chris? Like, how do people sort this all out in their head? If they're how do you sort it out? How do you sort it out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think where it starts is we cannot be lazy. Yeah. About our beliefs and our opinions, and I, I think right if you just look at the pandemic. You know, we've just learned that so many Americans and just people in general like to be told what to do. Yeah. They like to be controlled and they don't care to question authority and they don't care to question why are we doing certain things? Is this really, you know, the, the, the best path, you know, from a political perspective? Are these political stances ones that make sense, you know, not just for our country, but for us as individuals, right? And, you know, right. Just, and just because, you know, I'm pro, pro, you know, gay rights and pro gun rights doesn't mean that I, I'm in some no man's land, right? It's yeah. a matter, it's a matter of understanding what is your personal, you know, political philosophy and where do you fit on the political spectrum. And, you know, I, you know, yes, I'm Republican, but I don't vote Republican every single time. Right. Yeah. And it's not always, you know, I'm not always voting, uh, you know, you know, my vote will, it varies depending also on who the candidates are. Um, You know, just because somebody's pro gun or pro gay rights doesn't mean that they're a good person. Right. right? And and for me, sometimes it's about your values and your ethics uh, as a candidate and someone who I believe is, you know, going to be a critical thinker, right. Or, uh, someone who is willing to have is who's willing to challenge established dogma. Right. So for me, you know, from a political perspective, you know, it, it's more nuanced for me and that's what I would like to encourage for all of us. Right. It's like, no matter what your positions are on whatever issue, really think about, well, if you're pro-gun, well, why are you pro-gun, right? I think it's it's beneficial for us to understand, you know, why do we hold the positions that we hold? And, and you guys said it, right, for, for Second Amendment, this is about our natural right to self-defense. Right. If you mm-hmm. just think about us as animals and human beings, we are animals that right. are part of the animal kingdom, we all have a natural right to self-defense. Yep. And as humans, we have firearms, right? As one of many technologies that are out there. And in the United States, we've all agreed that firearms are a, a, an inherent constitutional right, right? That we can choose whether to use a firearm or not. And it's that choice, right? For me, like, the, what is the principle, right? My principle in general about how I think the government, you know, should or shouldn't be involved in things is, you know, is this is this a a right that should be protected, or is there some kind of collective threat where we need to have the military or law enforcement or the, you know, the justice system, you know, come in and and help, you know, guide guide behavior and and you know provide laws and regulations. I mean, in general, I don't like laws and regulations, but of course, hey, right, there, there has to be some sure. legal framework, right, in every, um, in, in every, in every mature society, right, to make sure that, hey, yeah, you know, it's, it's not legal to just kill people without some kind of justification, like self-defense or, or other valid reasons. Well, we we're we're lucky to have, uh, as I have sometimes said, a perfectly imperfect system that manages through all these years and through, you know, these civil rights being uh, separated into one political party or next, it's, it is pretty hard to change some rules, you know, I mean, major changes don't happen very often, fortunately, in some of the things we're talking about. I mean, I find on the state level, like the state we live in, right? Like we're in New York. Uh, Chris, are you still in California? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, here in so, so we're bookend here and we're like in very, you know, anti-gun states, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, states is one thing, but like federal, I mean, it, you know, it's hard to get yeah. federal gun laws passed. Yeah. It really is. Well, I'll, I, I have kind of an easy, I guess, question for you. Um, what, what Do you like any other type of uh, recreational shooting or do you really just do competition pistol and practical stuff? 
Yeah, you know, so um, I, I've actually been off of the uh, competition circuit for the past seven years, uh, so I'm not shooting full time uh, anymore. And all my Second Amendment activity is involved in advocacy and media and um, consulting and more on the business end of things. Um, and so I'm actually in the process of uh, setting up my own private range uh, here in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And I'm very excited. Uh, I've got a bunch of MGM targets that are coming at the end of this cool. month. And it's just going to be more for recreational shooting. Awesome. Just, you know, just, you know, go out and, you know, practice, you know, just, just, you know, rapid fire, you know, holster draws and um, some long range shooting with, you know, with rifles, et cetera, et cetera. And, and more about supporting uh, organizations that are, you know, holding training um, events that I support, you know, providing, um, you know, opening up my range for a limited number of private events. And uh, and then also just write a place for my friends and family and, and colleagues to come shoot and have a good time. So that's kind of where my sh- most of my shooting will, will be in the future. You know, here's a funny, like, dirty little secret about the firearms industry is that he would think, that most of us in the firearms industry get to shoot guns all the time. <laughs> and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. I mean, like I was just a shot show, you know, in Vegas, uh, which is the industry, you know, firearms industry trade show. And, you know, most of us in the industry are not shooting guns because our day jobs are either right to sell the product, to you know, create the product, to uh, market it. And, and that often isn't invo- involving us using the product it's about encouraging end users right to shoot right and, and test the product or i right, talk to dealers and distributors kind of thing so i once um, heard someone say the deeper I, you get in the industry the less ammo you burn <laughs> exactly it, it couldn't be farther from the truth but uh, I'm, I'm hoping to uh change that a little bit this year and and uh, get a little bit more trigger time that's great that's great so you kind of mentioned that uh, now you're sort of off of the shooting part and more into the advocacy part. And I read somewhere that you also have some ambitions of running for public office. So uh, in a dream come true scenario, what level of office could you ultimately see yourself rising to? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, it's, it's a question that I have, um, you know, wrangled with for the past 20 some years. I mean, ever since I was in high school and college, you know, I knew that politics and running for office would be in the cards for me, you know, one day. Um, and, you know, I'm a San Francisco resident and I mean, San Francisco is just obviously brutal. I mean, it would be extremely challenging for a candidate like me to, to win. However, you know, the, 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 the environment, and situation in San Francisco has become so dire over the past five or six years where the criminal element is out of control and the the local officials are unable to do anything about it. And there is, it's the same here in New York. Yeah. And there's this, there's this rising narrative of law and order, right. Needs to be reestablished. And to summarize how crazy San Francisco politics has gotten, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party officials, they are castigated as the conservatives Wow! in San Francisco. So it's the progressive, the hyper left wing yep. progressive part of the, of the Democratic, Democratic Party that's holding all the cards and they are pushing all these crazy policies that, you know, San Franciscans are, yes, traditionally very liberal, but moving even farther to the left, even even lifelong San Francisco Democrats are realizing, oh, whoa, we we voted for this. Oh, OK, yeah, you voted for that. And this is not what you wanted. So there's going to be, I hypothesize, you know, a swing to the left or sorry, a swing to the right um, now. Are the stars going to line for someone like me to run for local office in San Francisco? Uh, who, who knows? Uh, I have other ambitions, too, in the business world. Uh, so, you know, might be not available right, to run for office. My husband and I, you know, we, we might, you know, start a family one of these days. So that would also put, I think, a, you know, kick the can down the road for political ambitions. But, you know, statewide, um, you know, uh, the governorship is, is definitely, I would say, very well um, you know, well within reach, um, you know, Governor Newsom, who's very anti-gun, 
And also, I'd say just he's been a terrible governor, you know, for, for, for our state over the past few years. And, you know, we've had Republican governors in the past. Um, you know, Governor Schwarzenegger was, you know, the most recent one. Um, and, and, you know, the, the demographics of California are constantly changing. And one demographic in particular is the Asian-American community, which historically nationwide, Asian-Americans are typically politically apathetic, not involved, but that's changing. And one of the unfortunate inflection points of that change has been due to the increase of, of racist attacks against Asian Americans during COVID. Yeah, I know you were you were a big you spoke on that, correct? Yeah, that that actually was uh, one of my one of my questions. Not to cut you off, Chris, I apologize, but <clears throat> you you've you've talked about that a lot. Uh, especially one of the areas that I found where you where you talked about this was in your testimony from uh, the Committee on the Judiciary uh, Common Sense Steps to Reducing Gun Violence. Anyone who listens to the show knows that I like to read official and legal documents. So when I come across that for a guest, I go like right for it. So I guess the first question I have about it is, how did you get in that room to make the testimony? Were you invited? Yes. Yeah, I was, in, I was invited by uh, Senator Grassley's office, and it was the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the industry's firearms industry trade group that connected me, you know, with the committee and, you know, testifying in front of the United States Senate was the privilege uh, of a lifetime. And I would recommend anyone who has an opportunity, right, to testify in front of our government at whatever level, right, even if it's just your local city council, it is incredibly powerful and incredibly impactful for elected officials to hear from us, right, not to hear from, you know, other groups representing our opinions, but hearing from us as individuals. Well, you talked you talked about some of the things that you were talking about earlier. You know, you talked about the rise in violence against uh, Asian Americans. You talked about <clears throat> gun control. You know, I, you I'm saying this, you're not saying this. Gun control is really just like citizen control. And you talked about how bad the government has done in trying to control guns in the past. When you were done reminding those elected officials of the past and the risks of future gun control, did your impression, like, what was your impression of how they processed your testimony? You know, um, did any yeah. of them, do you think they grabbed, do you think they cared or was it like, you know, whatever? This thanks, guy's, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it was very interesting. Right? The dynamic was, you know, a lot of all Republican senators on the judiciary, you know, asked me a lot of questions and, you know, naturally it was right supporting my uh, my hypothesis and my points of view. But what was interesting is the Democrats basically avoided me. And, mm. you know, what will often happen in these uh, committee hearings where is where one party will attack a a person testifying that goes against right what 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 the party is for right? yeah of course so, sometimes I love those attacks but <laughs> yeah exactly right so you get the, you get the beefy you know uh, talking points it'll make the nightly news right it's like oh you know these heated moments between the senator and you know someone testifying Whoever. yeah and so the Democrats completely avoided me and I was prepared for this because what I was prepped for uh, by a lot of professionals who have helped uh, you know people like me testify they basically said if if the Democrats don't ask me any questions that means that they're afraid of me yeah I was a you must scare the living oh, cra- yeah. crap out of them you know yeah. right because the, the, the dynamic is this if a Democrat if an anti-gun Democrat asks me a question they've now given me the floor to both respond to their question or I can say whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> Whether I'm answering their question or not. All right. So there's this, there's this game of each side is being very careful of which people they're asking questions towards and making sure that they're trying to control the narrative as much as possible. So uh, I felt very good uh, after my testimony and, you know, given this was a year ago, and if you look at the lack of progress that Agreed. the gun control uh, you know, groups have made at the federal level over the past year, 
Um, I'd like to think that I played, you know, a, a small but very notable role in preventing gun control measures from passing at the federal level. Well, I, yeah, I'll agree with that, Chris, and I'll tell you, even say thank you for going and doing That's it. For sure. You know, um, I anybody listening should go read it. It's pretty public knowledge. It wasn't very hard for me to find it. I'm not really all that smart. We all know I don't like social media or anything else. So um, it should make any American, regardless of political party lines, pause. Right? You know, restricting con- uh, constitutional rights to make some of us sleep better you know for me personally it, it just makes me sleep worse so yeah. uh any any constitutional right you know that goes for it not just yeah and, and i do want to underscore you know the main thrust of my testimony was our country has done very terrible things to certain minority yes. groups and specifically the african-american community and the asian-american community if we look all the way obviously back to slavery to the chinese exclusion act of 1882 to executive order 9066 which interned 120,000 innocent japanese americans during camps. world war ii and all of these actions deprived Americans of their civil rights, including their Second Amendment rights. And the whole point that I was making is that gun control is unfairly discriminating against law-abiding, responsible citizens. And I don't want to see our country continue to make the same mistakes of the past and apply them right to, to our Second Amendment rights. And so in the moment, like, how is this affecting Asian Americans? You know, we're coming up to the one year anniversary of the Atlanta shootings, mm-hmm. which were six of eight victims were Asian American women. And after the Atlanta shootings, there was a large number of Asian Americans who were going to gun shops right, to purchase their first firearm. And a lot of these gun control measures that are that, that, these, that, the, that the Democrats are talking about would either delay or restrict law-abiding citizens' ability to acquire a firearm in a timely manner. And you even said that we <clears throat> these these gun control, you know, uh, they, they 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 stop thousands, right? And instead, they also could prevent millions of innocent people from being able to purchase. Yeah. And, and and pursue their Second Amendment right, right? That's well, exactly no, what No, no, no. And for the record, I did not say that it stops thousands, right? So the, the, the problem, the core problem with gun control is that it doesn't stop many deaths, right, from occurring. And well, yeah, problem- I, I gave it, I guess I gave you a misquote there. I, I, you said something to the effect of that, you know, these gun control measures can, can prevent millions of Americans from being able to purchase, you know, uh, a firearm that, that are legally able to do so. And all they've ever done is stop a few felons from a thousand felons or thousands of felons, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And and, and right. And the, the question is, right, is that kind of restriction worth it? Right. And so, you know, for, for me, this is all about principle. So let's talk about briefly, right, our, our Fourth Amendment rights right, around due yes. process and illegal search and seizure. Right. So in the technology world, right there, we have our iPhones. And there is this right, this technology that the Israelis created that basically allow anybody to hack any iPhone, right? So, and sorry, let, let me back up. You know, the FBI had approached Apple, right, a, a number of years ago and basically said, hey, Apple, right, there was this crime. It was like the San Bernardino shooting, if yes. I remember correctly. And they said, hey, Apple, we want technology to break this iPhone of the shooter so we can, right, investigate and look look at you know right data to try and you know piece together they wouldn't create it unless they they got a unless they got a waiver from the government like said we'll do it for you but but you're gonna have to absolve us from any uh any legal issue issue yeah and so thankfully apple said you know f you big middle finger and they said no right so the fbi then went you know to these this third party right that uh right sold them the software to do it and so you're right this concept of the government having technology to break into any of our phones at any time, like that is an unacceptable, right, trade off, right? Because the pro people are saying, oh, right, well, the government could hack terrorists' phones, right, and, and stop terrorist attacks from happening. But that's at the expense of everybody's privacy. We're getting down a rabbit hole. I mean, honestly, those type of things have been happening, in my opinion, since like the Patriot Act was probably 
the the beginning of us losing our social freedoms of, uh, and privacy and that kind of stuff because we just were we were comfortable with giving it up. Mike, I know that you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a um, we're talking about technology here. And one thing that you recently did was you utilized NFTs to raise money for pro second amendment organizations. So first off, NFTs are non-fungible tokens, which I started dabbling a little bit into cryptocurrencies recently and, and learning a little bit. But essentially what it is, is it is digital collectibles is what, what it essentially is. You've, you've said that before, Chris. Um, so this was like a very forward thinking uh, move on your part, right? You're using some kind of some, some modern uh, ways of raising money and you did that to raise quite a bit of money. I, I don't know the exact number. I want to say it was like $30,000. Was that, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so we, we, I was a partnership with Recoil Magazine and I was on the cover of the July, August edition of Recoil Magazine last year. And it was a very provocative cover. Yeah. We're going to get to that in our second segment for sure. Yeah. And you know, it was promoting the notion that the second amendment is for everyone, regardless if you're gay, if you're Asian, if you're a woman, if you're a this, or if you're a that, that the second amendment is for everyone. And so I wanted to do a test, right, with this new NFT technology and ask the question, is this provocative piece of magazine cover art something that people would pay money for, right? And this is the equivalent of a physical piece of artwork that somebody is moved by, right? And we would pay right real dollars for right, a painting we hang on our wall. And so this is the digital version of that. And so I was, and, you know, the industry, we were all pleasantly surprised to see that these 10 NFT copies of the magazine cover of, of Recoil Magazine sold for over $31,000, right? 10 winners purchased serialized uh, one through 10 copies of the, of the magazine covers NFTs. And a portion of that $31,000 went to pro Second Amendment organizations, right, to reinforce, right, not just, you know, talk the talk here and be like, right, the Second Amendment is for everyone, but also walk the walk and actually send money back to great organizations like the Firearms Policy Coalition, the Pink Pistols, which is a pro LGBT Second Amendment uh, organization, and APA GOA, which is Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, which is a pro Asian pro gun organization as well. That's great. That that that's amazing that you were able to leverage that uh, blockchain technology and use it for something that would benefit the Second Amendment. So good good on you for you know for sort of realizing the power that we could use that technology. So that's great. Yeah, and, and you know this is this is you know the the first shot across the bow. You know it was a test back the, the NFT auction was back in October. And, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with you know, folks in the firearms industry and the firearms community around, you know, how can we build upon that successful NFT auction and make this a larger, more sustainable NFT ecosystem for the gun community where we're not only able to have fun. I mean, and for me, you know, I, I, I think technology can be a lot of fun uh, with NFTs in particular, this whole collector's card ecosystem that exists uh, in multiple NFT communities. I think there's something there for, for the gun space and then also for advocacy, you know, because the, the recoil NFT auction was 100% 2A advocacy. Sure. And, Right. The fact that we we raised thirty one thousand dollars selling 10 digital files in the form of NFTs. Right. The, the, and the notion that the Second Amendment is for all like that, that meme, that notion resonated very strongly with the 10 winners as it did with me. And I see tremendous opportunity for all of our favorite, you know, gun rights organizations and, and and firearms personalities to really leverage NFT technology and not just promoting the Second Amendment, but also having a really good and fun time collecting all of our favorite, you know, firearms and um, you know 
having a new type of connection with the brands that we know and love. Yeah, it sounds like there's there's definitely uh, something there in terms of utilizing this in the industry. Like other industries are doing it, so like why not our industry? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. The 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 big I would say mainstream industry that has really found a, a successful paradigm is the sports industry. You know, yes. the the NBA in particular, they have this fantastic NFT marketplace called NBATopshot.com. No relation to my top shot that <laughs> I won, um, but the NBA has sold over a billion dollars worth of basketball NFTs over the past 18 months, and they've caught the attention of Major League Baseball, of NHL, of the yep. UFC, Major League Soccer, et cetera, et cetera, and they're all building or have built their own NFT marketplaces. So, you know, this is a brand new space. You know, NFTs are, are still fairly new to the public, and right, a lot of people don't know what they are, but mark my words, in a few years, everyone's going to not just know what NFTs are, but they're going to own NFTs and they're going to become as ubiquitous as everybody having an email address, right? Or sure. everybody having access to the internet. It's it's NFTs are, are going to be a, a huge thing because it's a new way for us to own items, right? The, uh, NFTs are digital collectibles or digital goods that can be owned. And with that ownership comes value, right? So there's whole new economies, whole new ecosystems. Chris, I, I just want to, I want to move it along a little bit. Um, cause I do have a couple more segments here, but where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, uh, online at topshotchris.com and then also on social media and my handles at topshotchris. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. And then uh, for anybody that wants to read more about my NFT thoughts and initiatives, I'm also at medium.com and my handle there is no surprise at Top Shot Chris. Gotcha. Okay. So um, yeah, I knew I knew the NFTs was a big was a big topic for you. So anyone that's out there that's into that, obviously go check that out. I also do have a lot of those links in the show notes. So Chris, we do a uh, a game called Run and Gun on the show, and it's a rapid fire ten question game where we'd like to ask you these questions and have you give us the first answer that comes to your mind. You willing to do that with us? <laughs> yeah, giddy up. Let's do it. All right, cool. So number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Ooh, boy. Um, my Noveski N4. It was my very first AR-15. Nice. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Oh, boy. Um, it would be an Accuracy International 338 Lapua rifle. Mm. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Anthony Bourdain. I think he was someone very special <laughs> who connected with people and also connected us with each other in a very unique way. And I'm, I'm a foodie and a travel uh, junkie too. So, you know, he was someone who I, I really admired and I, and I wish I had a chance to meet him That's and, a good and have one. a drink. Yeah. Great answer. Favorite caliber? Nine millimeter. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Oh boy, uh, is drinking a hobby? <laughs> sure. sure, I'm drinking right now. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, um, gosh, the the power to fly. All hell breaks loose. Is it better be armed or trained? Hmm, better be armed. Is it better be loved or feared? Better be loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Shotgun. Yeah. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, my, I'm influenced by the show Warrior because I'm like rewatching uh, this on HBO Max. And it's based in the 1880s in Chinatown. And it's, it's based off of some notes of, and writings of Bruce Lee and these warriors. I mean, they just kick ass. And yeah, I think I'd want one of those guys on my team. Okay. Let's mix it up. All right. So in our last segment for tonight, uh, on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we want to discuss stereotypes in the firearms community. And specifically, Chris, you mentioned your uh, 
cover of Recoil Magazine. Um, I actually thought it was the September issue, but you said that it was more to uh, July, did you say? I might have gotten it wrong. It was, yeah, something like oh. July, August, September. I don't know. Yeah, I had September 21, but either way, it was around that time frame. Yeah. And I, I, I want to throw out a couple of quotes here because I think they're important. So when it happened, it was obviously sort of a hot button thing. And Recoil Magazine put out a quote and they defended you uh, vehemently and they said, if you're as strong of a defender of individual rights as Chris Chang, we'll put you on the cover and let you pick your own wardrobe too. That was because you were wearing a, an American flag that had the, the flag, right? The pride flag. Correct. And and also to note that it was a distressed American flag, which is you know indicative of the, the, the high level of strife and discord that we have in our country, which I think is bad. And it's something that I, I want to play my part in you know, trying to bring us together. And it was my goal, right, that the Second Amendment is for everyone, right, would be a rallying cry, which again did resonate sure. with a lot of folks, but it did not resonate with a certain part of the gun community, which was unfortunate. Yeah. So your response, and this is a quote from you, you said, there's this negative stereotype that gun owners are all white, racist, middle-aged guys. And that's simply not true. Um, and that's a, a direct quote from you. There, I read some some people's responses that were, I thought they were not very nice. <laughs> to, to, I mean, I, that's, is that I, you I, being I, nice? I, I'm being nice. Feelings. Yeah, they they were not. They nice. definitely hurt Mike's feelings. Yeah, no, they, I mean, they really, they genuinely were not nice comments. You know, they were very insensitive. I thought. Well, it's just down. I mean, let's just call it what. It's just downright ignorant. You don't have any. You, you don't know anything about the firearms industry if you think that. Right. Especially well, after the last couple of years. I was going to say, I mean, we've had how many guests on that are, I mean, across the spectrum of female, people, you know, yeah, female, male, black yeah. American, white yeah. American, you know, I would really like to kind of get your take on this, Chris. I mean, you, you were in the, the middle of it, the thick of it. We are obviously a very mixed bag in this community, but it has traditionally been thought of as a white Republican Right of passage. <clears throat> Definitely in our generational time frame, I think it's been thought that way. I, I, I hope yeah. that what we've been talking about is the fact that it shouldn't be that way and it hasn't always been that And way. that it's changed. I think it's Hopefully changed it's dramatically. Changed, yeah. But Chris, you're, uh, you know, you've are you been in the industry longer than us and you know, I'd like to hear your take on this. Yeah, you know, so when I joined the firearms industry you know, full-time 10 years ago, uh, you know, I was not a gun guy. You know, I was not, and I was, to be frank, not a Second Amendment guy either. Like, I just thought guns were fun, and that was sort of the end of it. And I actually did have a fear coming in the industry that, wow, you know, is this just going to be a bunch of you know racist white guys? And uh, I was pleasantly surprised to have my own negative stereotypes busted. And right, so I always try and remember that moment for me because – you know, that my that statement that you quoted me from, right, it, it's sort of twofold, right? The, the first the first goal here is to signal to people of other dem, you know, non-traditional demographics, if you want to call it that, right? If you're a person of color, if you're LGBT, if you're a woman, et cetera, um, that right there already are a, a, a huge number of diverse individuals in the gun community. Right. So we already exist. All all the colors of the rainbow and Americans of all walks of life are gun owners. Right. And so th there's this very simple but important marketing tactic. Right. That people are attracted to things when they see people like them representing the thing. Right. And sure. if, if, if those Different people, though, aren't visually visible and represented. And if we're not vocal, then we're not doing ourselves any favors, right? Right? We're, we're letting the negative stereotypes uh, predominantly take hold. So that was one goal of mine was right to 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 highlight the existing diversity that already exists and to help recruit and retain right new gun owners, right? People who and let me give you. A, a very personal example of how I hope this made a difference. So you know, when the when the recoil magazine was on magazine stands, I took my parents to Barnes and Noble, and I also had no idea that Barnes and Noble still existed. So I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised, right? That there was it's a bookstore I could like take my parents to. And as uh, we were looking at the recoil magazine with me on the cover on the on the rack, there was a gay couple 
that was on the, the rack over looking at whatever magazines. And they happened to see the, the LGBT distressed American flag that I was wearing on the recoil cover. And one of the guys in this, in this gay couple, he points over to the magazine him and his boyfriend or husband, you know, they, they walk over to the recall magazine and he took a picture of the cover on his phone and I'm watching this and they don't know that I'm there. I'm just like, I'm like, just, yeah. you know, step back. Like I'm just watching this unfold. And I was like, this, this is literally, you know, why, what, why I did that cover and what I was hoping to accomplish, right. That these, yeah. these gay guys like weren't there to like buy a, a, a gun magazine. And even right. though they didn't buy the recall magazine, the fact they, they took a picture and they were interested, right? They're like, what is going on here, right? With an LGBT flag with, you know, this guy with a gun is an Asian guy. But the point is that I hoped that I made firearms more approachable for them, even if it was in that very small way. And this is what grassroots advocacy is for me and what it is for everyone, right? It's, you know, it's not just about going to testify in front of the United States Senate, right? That's sort of like, you know, grassroots advocacy, uh, sort of highest levels. But, you know, for me, this is very much about I will go talk to one person, right? If it's just one person or two people at a time to talk about individual freedom and liberty and our Second Amendment rights, like that is what I do as, you know, every time I have an opportunity and that's what I want to encourage every listener here to do as well, because that is ultimately how we will win the fight for our second amendment rights. Well, that is a very optimistic and positive approach. And, uh, if you, you know, maintaining that every day, like yourself is, uh, is an awesome thing. You're right. Like they, they had a picture on their phone of, of a guy with a gun, right? Like maybe they never thought about owning a gun in their entire life. And now they have this picture on their phone of a guy with a gun and maybe it, it just gives that little spark, right? That little, that little, you know what? You know, maybe maybe we should try this. Maybe maybe this is something that is for us, right? I'm going to keep it opt opt uh, you know optimistic. I obviously the skeptic that I have could think of you know something that they could you know could have put it on Instagram and uh, been bashing it, but I want to be optimistic and say that that's not what they did. I just think that the advocacy that you're putting out there, Chris, is really really important. So. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for everything you're doing in the community. Thank you for coming on our show. Uh, and your story is certainly unique and inspirational. And it's provided, uh, you know, it, it's a very powerful platform that you have, right? So uh, your influence and advocacy in the firearms community is second to none. And we're lucky to have you on our side of this thing. I really appreciate you doing everything you do for us. Thank you for the kind words. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on the show today. I, I had a wonderful time and I hope your listeners in, enjoyed our conversation as well. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in our show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so we can keep the conversation going.